I want to read this passage to you again that Paul and I read to you at the start of the service. Um, just to really let these words of God sink into um, our hearts and our minds and our spirits. Um, and it, I'm reading to you from the book of Philippians, chapter 3. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 to 11. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Do you, do you remember uh, the story of Jonathan Aiken? Do you remember Jonathan Aiken? He was a, he was a politician, um, a high-ranking politician um, in the conservative government. Uh, he was a cabinet minister, and um, he ended up serving seven months in prison for perjury in 1999. Um, he sued the Guardian newspaper for libel. The, the Guardian newspaper said he'd done various things and been in various places, and he said he hadn't, and he sued them, but he was found to be lying. He perjured himself, and he got sent to prison. Um, and he, write, he wrote in this article, this was in the Telegraph newspaper a while ago, he said, through the 80s and the 90s, I was the chairman of a small merchant bank, which I had founded. I had banking deals in the Gulf and Saudi Arabia. My car was a Jaguar. One minute, I'd been having lunch at Claridge's, and I had a big house in the heart of Westminster and a country house in Sandwich Bay in Kent. And then crash, I had a big fall. I lost it all. And I wouldn't want property now. I'm happy to rent. I, I've really lost interest in possessions. I haven't bought anything of any significant value for nearly 20 years. Money comes very low on my list of priorities. I don't really want to have money. And I don't really think of it that much. I have exchanged mammon or money for God. 
And um, Paul is asking the question as he writes, is, is what really counts in life? What is really valuable? When you're sticking labels on things in life, how do you value them? What is their net worth? I, I looked at a few things that, that uh, uh, go for crazy prices. Like, if you look in the world of art, um, a, a few years back, the, the Paul Gauguin uh, painting, When Will You Marry?, sold for 197 million pounds for a painting. 197 million pounds. Um, uh, and uh, it was sold privately to uh, a Swiss art collector um, uh, at that price. And then, um, if art is not your thing, what about handbags? Any of you into handbags? I know some of you men are. Um, in 2011, a red crocodile Hermes Birkin bag with 18 karat white gold and diamond hardware was sold uh, for $203,000. Uh, $203,000 for a handbag. So some of you women, you can tell your husbands that you're cheaper at the price. <laughs> or you might not be into handbags. How about coffee? I like a good cup of coffee. The most expensive cup of coffee in the world is sourced in the Sumatran jungle uh, where a weasel cat goes foraging for coffee. And the coffee is made from the beans that, to put this as delicately as possible, have passed through the digestive system of the luwak. He's pooped out these beans and um, they sell for 325 pounds a cup. <laughs> 325 pounds for pooped out coffee. <laughs> How do we put value on things? 190 million pounds for a painting or $200,000 for a bag or 325 quid for a cup of coffee. I think McDonald's coffee is quite good. At one pound, whatever it is. And what value, what value for good looks these days? People do all kinds of things to try and get good looks or maintain good looks. What value for a good education, depending on where you live in the world, or what's really valuable and who says so? And Paul addresses this uh, from a financial point of view and a material point of view, but, but mainly from a, a spiritual righteousness point of view. Like what it is to be right with God. Um, when it comes to living life right and and being right with God, what really counts? What is important? And he's writing to these Philippians about this. What do you have to do to be right with God? What, what, what is it? What's the deal that will make you right with God in your life? That will give you a relationship with the living God? What really counts? I was talking to someone recently, and, and they told me they were tired of always trying to be good enough, but never quite making it. To be a good enough spouse, or to, be a, or to succeed at work, or, or to be a good enough parent, or to be a good enough Christian. And feeling like they never quite hit the mark. They're tired of having this feeling, they were telling me. Never, I'm never quite good enough. I never quite make it. Always falling short. Always slightly in the red. Never in credit, or never for long. You ever have that feeling? 
In Paul's day, it was no different than it is in ours. It's just that they looked to different solutions than we do. The Christian believers in Philippi, uh, in this Greek church that Paul's writing to, they were tempted. They were tempted to believe a group of people who were telling them what they needed to do to be okay with God. These were the people that were telling them what boxes they needed to tick, what hoops they needed to jump through, some of the things they needed to do to be all right with God. And, and Paul's writing about these people. They were saying, this is what counts, this is what's important, this is what's valuable. Now, in their case, different to ours, in their case it was a religious practice, an outward practice. It was circumcision. And, and these mutilators of the flesh, as Paul calls them, they were coming to these believers in Philippi and they were saying that if you really are going to be all right with God, you need to be circumcised. Um, you need to follow the circumcision rules of the Jews. And um, it's good to believe in Jesus. That, that it's good to believe in Jesus and to trust in his death on the cross uh, for your salvation and to make you all right with God. But to really seal the deal, they were telling these believers, you need to do this as well. You need this religious practice in your life. You need, to, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be all right with God. You need to follow these religious rules. And this will make sure that your moral account is in credit with God. And Paul is having none of it. He says in verses 2 to 4, in addressing these people, he says, watch out for those dogs. Those men who do evil, these mutilators of the flesh. For it is we, we who are the circumcision, we who worship in the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself, Paul says, I've got plenty of reasons to put confidence in the flesh. So Paul is addressing this very specific issues. He's saying, that, look, if you want to score points with God, Getting things credited to your account, to your, to your credit, in the, in the plus side of the column of your, of your account with God in the value system, uh, let me tell you about a few things that I could put in my plus column uh, as somebody, if you want to tick boxes and jump through hoops. And in verses 4 to 6, he, he says what some of those things are, that if you're going to follow this rules-based religion, these are some of the things I've done, Paul says. And, and he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I, am, I have more, I can top trump you. I was circumcised on the eighth day, following the strict rules of the, of the Jewish uh, religion. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. When it comes to the law, I was a Pharisee. I, I followed the law to the dot. Uh, as for zeal, if you, wanna, if you want zeal, I, I persecuted this new way, the church. I, persecuted, I was so zealous for the things of God. And as for legalistic righteousness, following the law, doing everything by the book, I was faultless, Paul says. So I, 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 I can do all these things. I, I can out-trump you. And, and many of us, we could do something similar. We could have a profit and loss account and in our plus column we could put the things that we think we do right and in our negative column the things maybe that we think we do wrong. 
Now, my, my column is different to Paul's. I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't subjected to most of these practices, and I didn't follow these rules. But I, I was raised in the church, so my column would read something like, dedicated in the eighth month of Christian parents of the tribe of Pentecostals, <laughs> baptized in the 11th year, a regular churchgoer for 50 plus years. In regard to religious law, I like to read thick theology books. And as for zeal, I am a pastor of a church. And as for following the rules, I follow most of them most of the time. I haven't got as many speeding tickets as Pastor David. <laughs> and I am definitely better than him. You could, you could draw up your own list. We've all got our lists. And uh, trying to make the mark, uh, trying to be good enough, uh, to keep up, to justify ourselves. And, and though it often doesn't feel good enough, I always feel like, the person said, I always feel like I'm falling short, that I'm never good enough, that there's never enough in the plus column, that I'm always spiritually overdrawn. I don't pray enough, I don't pray well enough, I don't share my faith enough, I don't fill in the gap enough. But we try, don't we? We try to stay in the credit. We try to score our points. And according to the value system that are prescribed or presented to us, that we've imbibed or that we've believed. And we all have those value systems. And Paul isn't finished. Okay, he says. These guys are telling you that you have to follow these rules and that this value system to be made right with God According to that value system, being right with God by following rules and regulations and being religious, putting confidence in the flesh, to use this phrase of, of Paul, human effort in human effort. He says, I can, I can outbid you all. According to that system, I am rich. I've got plenty in my, in my plus column, in my, in my profit column. But that's not our value system. That's not what counts before God. And, and Paul says in, in verses 7 onwards, he says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So Paul says, what I used to count in my prophet column as a credit in my account, I now consider it as a loss, as a debit. I now consider loss for the sake of Christ, verse 7. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, verse 8. I consider them, verse 8, I consider them rubbish. The Greek is skubala, which means dung or excrement. I consider those things which used to be in my prophet column, I now consider them to be dog dung. I now consider them to be skubala. I consider them to be rubbish. I consider them to be loss 
compared to the only thing that can go in the plus column, in the profit column of my life, and that is the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, of having a relationship with Jesus. He said, I used to think religion and rules were it, but they're not. They're over to the loss column. The only thing that's in the plus column, in the profit column, is to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. The surpassing greatness of that, he said, that's all that counts. I've moved all of these things across. There's only one thing that will make me okay with God. There's only one thing that will make you okay with God. That will make sure that you are good enough. That you do match up. That you don't have this feeling of never quite making it. The answer is in verse 7, Christ. Verse 8, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Verse 8, that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, I may be found in Christ. Verse 9, having a righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Are you getting the answer? It's like the old Sunday school question when the kids would say, well, I don't know what the answer is. The answer is always Jesus. Just say Jesus nine out of ten times, you'll get a chocolate. And Paul says, I want to know Christ, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, that I might gain Christ, that I might be found in Christ, that I might have the righteousness of Christ. I want to know Christ. And this says John in John 17 verse 3, and this is the way to have eternal life is to know Jesus, the only true God. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. This is the way to eternal life. This is the way to be made right with God, is to know Christ, is to know him. When the person I was talking to said that they never feel good enough, that they're always falling short as a parent or a spouse or as a Christian, they were right. (laughs) Of course, they were right. You don't have what it takes. You don't. You will never be good enough. You will always fall short. Your account with God will always be in the red. And the only thing that puts you in the green, the only thing is Jesus Christ. The surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. He takes your debts and he credits your account with his righteousness. The argument is all tied together by Paul in Romans chapter 4 where he addresses this particular issue of circumcision which was a big deal in the early church and whether we need to follow these rules or not that we followed for centuries to be made right with God and, and Paul addresses this when he writes in Romans chapter 4 he says Abraham believed God it was credited, credited to him as righteousness his faith in God not the fact that he was circumcised. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, Paul says, but also for us. God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification, to make us right with God, to, to be as if we'd never sinned. And so Romans 4.16 in the message version says, the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely on trusting God and his way and then simply embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. That's the only way 
everyone can be sure to get in on it. Those who keep the religious traditions and those who have never heard of them. Whether you've never heard of these things or whether you've tried to keep them all of your lives. Whether you were raised in church like I was or whether you're new to church. Or whether you're watching online and and looking in from the outside. Wherever you are today, the same applies to every one of us. There's only, that's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it, those who keep the religious traditions and those who've never heard of them. God's promise arrives as a pure gift. Now, listening to me today, there are probably those who represent both groups. There are those who keep religious traditions. People like me and many of you who've had a lot to do with church and a lot to do with Christianity and the traditions that go with it. And equally, those of you who have never heard of these things or are new to them, who find the culture of Christianity slightly odd or inaccessible or new or confounding. It doesn't matter which group you are in today. The same truth applies. The only way that you can get in on God's promise is to receive his pure gift, to accept the transfer of his credit into your account, the credit of Jesus Christ's righteousness, of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, that he then takes that sense of righteousness, rightness with God, a right relationship with God, and he places that in your account, and he credits it to you as righteousness, that you are made right with God. And he takes your sin and your wrongdoing, and even your best efforts, and your religious rules, and the traditions you have followed, and he puts those in the debit account. And this divine exchange takes place. You are given Christ's righteousness and your wrongdoings are put into uh, Christ's account. This is a gift from God. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And it's nothing you can earn. It's nothing that you can do to deserve. Everything else that you are trying to put in your account and you all do it and I do it too, to rack up credit is, to use Paul's words, loss rubbish, dung, excrement. Even our best efforts, even our righteous acts are as filthy rags, the Bible says. I am told, I am no expert in these things, but that, that phrase refers to menstrual cloths. That, that uh, our best efforts, our best efforts to be right with God are like dirty rags. We, can, we can't do it. We can't earn it. We can't get there. And it's the comparison that we need to see here. There are many good things that we can get to experience in life, good things. And God gives many things richly for our enjoyment. Things that pass through our hands, experiences, possessions, people, relationships, resources, learning. All these are good things. There's nothing wrong with them. But Paul says that he considers all of these things and everything else a loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ the surpassing greatness and so whether like Jonathan Aiken it's lunch at Claridge's or Westminster mansions or Jaguar cars or whether it's Pentecostal upbringings or religious traditions or whatever you think that you can put in the plus column of your life relationship with your children, your spouse, your family, your friendships, 
your work, your career, being a good person, being well-educated, I count these things loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, the message version says. We sing a, a song, there's nothing worth more that will ever come close, no thing can compare. You are our living hope. And that's what Paul is writing about here in this passage when he says about not having confidence in the flesh. And I think listening to me today will be both of these groups. There'll be those that follow the rules and the religious traditions and, and still do that to a degree and still feel just deep down viscerally that some of that really counts towards our righteousness with God. There are others that have had nothing to do with this and are just trying to work out what it is to be a Christ follower, to, to have faith in Jesus Christ, to be right with God, to, to feel free of guilt and, and sin and wrongdoing. Either camp, we still need the same thing. Like Paul says, we still need Jesus. We still need Christ. We still need a saviour. We still need the gospel. We never stop needing the gospel. We never stop needing this salvation. And in a few moments, I'd like to pray for you. And whether you're watching online or whether you're here in the building, I'd like to offer everyone, everyone, the, the, the moment, the opportunity again to, to make sure that you have the right thing in the plus column of your life. And that only, the only right thing that will make you right with God is to, put, is to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not to follow rules or religious habits. Um, but it's to be in relationship with Jesus Christ, to put your faith in him, to accept this gift of righteousness. If that goes into the plus side of your, of your account, into the profit side, that's, that's all you need. That's all we all need, is to put our faith, our trust, our belief in Jesus Christ, to hold on to him and his righteousness. As I was walking to church this morning, I was thinking of that old hymn, Jesus, keep me near the cross. We come back to the cross. We come back to what Jesus did for us because he died for us and he was raised again, which we're going to celebrate at Easter, for our justification, to make us right with God. He was the first one that went through death and back in and up and through to life so that we could follow him, so that we could experience new life in Jesus Christ. So I'd like to pray for you now. And if you have never, ever committed your life to Christ, if you have never come into relationship with him, Perhaps today, this spring day, is the day that you need to do that. It's the day where you need to commit your life to Christ. It's to accept his forgiveness. It's to come to a new place of salvation. And for those of us who perhaps have slipped back into, not, not, into our version of circumcision, whatever that is, then we come again. We come back to the cross. We come back to Christ. And we say with Paul, I want to know Christ and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Before we pray, I think I'd like Andy to come and sing uh, that, a song for us. Um, and it's this old song, Give Me, Give Me Jesus. And I just... I'd just like to reflect for a few moments on this sentiment. You can take all these other things, you can take the world, you can take anything else, 
but give me Jesus. Jesus is what I need. Jesus is who I need. And um, I want us to just listen as they sing this for us. Um, and then I'll and then I'll lead you in prayer. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me.
Jesus said, um, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Jesus knocking on the door of our heart and he wants a relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. Not, not rules, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. Credited to us as righteousness the only thing that counts, the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So whether that's established Christians this morning, or whether it's people who've never made that prayer, let's pray and invite Jesus afresh into our hearts. Maybe just where you are, pray something along these lines. If you want Jesus in your life, if you want to be in relationship with him, say something like this, just in your own heart, in your own mind. Dear Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know your righteousness. Please come into my heart, come into my life. I want to know you. Reveal yourself to me afresh. Please put your righteousness in my account so that I can be right with God, so that I can be good enough through Jesus. I invite you in now and I accept what you have done for me in faith. And I thank you. In Jesus' name. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, we will be saved. We can know Christ and his resurrection power. And if you prayed that today for the first time, if you want to come into relationship with Jesus, we'd really like to help you. We'd really like to kind of give you some first steps, some next steps. So if you're watching online, drop us, a, drop us a line, drop us an email, contact at PlymouthChristianCenter.org. Write to us and uh, give us your name, say, I prayed that prayer, I'd like more information, just get in touch with us. And if you're here today and you prayed that for the first time, if you've come with someone, tell them if they're a Christian or, or tell us, tell one of the pastors on the door and we'd love to chat to you um, this morning. So that would be fantastic.